All right. What's up? Another episode of the Stoke Podcast. Um, super, super stoked to welcome Abby Snyder, Abigail Snyder. Um, she is an elite um, XC racer. And uh, yeah, I'm stoked to have you on. Thanks, man. I'm stoked yeah. to be here. Yeah. And that, that um, introduction was super weak. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive into what is Abigail Snyder. So um, and I, we'll get into it. Like, when did you start riding the bike? And I know that you were a little late to riding the bike. Like a lot of people, same with myself. I kind of was a late bloomer to like starting to ride the bikes. Um, what kind of sparked the interest in that? Yeah. So I am, I would not have considered myself an athlete in like middle or high school, which is when I feel like a lot of my competitors were already racing. Um, I, had a road bike actually at the time, um, like an old Schwinn collegiate that my dad had gotten at like a police auction in our family. Like we lived in the country and it was kind of our thing, like pre-middle school, probably even that we would go like ride eight miles into town to get ice cream and then ride home as a family. But that was like the only cycling that I knew. And so I didn't know mountain bikes existed. I didn't know bike racing existed. Um, it just wasn't a part of my world. And so middle high school, kind of just stopped riding because that wasn't a thing that we did as a family anymore and didn't pick it up again until middle of college probably and at that point I was lifeguarding to make some money as one does in college <laughs> and um kind of fell in with a group of triathletes and they were like hey uh you're riding a bike to get to and from work and you clearly can swim you should try a triathlon and so I was like uh okay and I, I did, I did a couple sprint triathlons, really kind of found out that wasn't for me, but did find out that I liked the structure of training for something. Um, and I liked riding a bike and that kind of led to working part-time at a bike shop, which of course led to racing a criterium because why not? And eventually to racing mountain bikes. Um, but I think by the time I raced my first mountain bike, I was probably... 28 I think nice <laughs> yeah so that's kind of similar for me for my story as well so like was it the running or the swimming you didn't really enjoy the running for sure like I didn't mm -hmm. mind the swimming yeah but I'm just not a runner I don't enjoy it no and like <laughs> I'm starting to like right now outside like here let me see if I can even I don't know if you can see um, but it looks very white. Is it snow? Oh yeah. Like three feet of <laughs> snow. Like literally we got a storm for the last two days that buried all the way up to the fence. Like we had to shovel the whole car out from under the snow. And so that's anyway, wild. It was 65 here today. I'll have, you know, what is <laughs> you're in, uh, North Carolina. I'm no. in Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Southwest Virginia. Cool. I'm not very familiar with the East coast. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's sick. Yeah, no, other, we're, we're getting a monsoon of snow. It's insane. So I have to take on other like means of activity. And so my fiance is an ultra runner and to like hang out, you know, I can only take her on the bike with me so much. She loves riding the bike, but I also have to go run with her and I'm actually starting to like running. But at first I was like, screw this. I can do, you know, 50 miles on a bike in like three hours. And then 
running, I could barely do, <laughs> I could barely even run for three hours, let alone an hour. So it's like, I get that. So the bike was more of just like an intriguing form of training for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I mean, initially, like I said, my, my initial exposure was all on the road. Um, even for racing, it was initially like a few criteriums here and there. Um, and there was even really kind of a big pause between that first criterium and then doing any other racing. Um, I actually, so my first career was in teaching. And so right about the time that I did that first criterium, I moved to East Africa, Tanzania to teach at an international school for four years. And so was not racing my bike there. I had a bike to commute on, um, but definitely was not racing or training or anything like that. So you were there teaching. Yeah. What, what subject? I taught English and PE for middle and high school. Way. So what was like the craziest, uh, culture shock for, you know, coming from the States? I think oddly, I feel like I didn't experience as much culture shock going to Tanzania as I did coming home to the U S four years later, even though I had visited occasionally, definitely every summer, um, moving there, I think I was more like ready for it. Like I just expected everything to be different. And so like, sure, the culture is different in the sense that it's a lot more polite than we are in the U S. Yeah. Like I feel like here we tend to be very like, let's do this very task oriented, like on time for, well, maybe not on time for everything, but at least like driven to get things done. Whereas there it's very much like you would be considered rude if you went up to someone and be like, Hey, um, I need this. Like you have to ask them first, like, how are they? How are their family? How's the farm? The whatever. Um, and then get to whatever you're actually there to ask them about. Um, so I think that that was like one of the things that was like strikingly different. And then when I moved home, I just felt like everything was very different. Like I kind of felt like, like I jumped into like warp speed a little bit and was like, okay. (laughs) Um, And even some of that was going from like being surrounded by like in an international school full of like 40 different nationalities. So I was surrounded by all these languages, all these cultures, everything all at the same time to being like, everyone around me looks like me and speaks only English. Yeah. That's weird. (laughs) I bet. Especially four years, you know, like it's different than going somewhere for like a year, even four years, you almost, that's amount, that's the amount of time where you establish yourself in a community. Yeah. yeah. So I feel and like in an age where you're also like, I mean, I was like mid 20s. So also kind of like figuring out who I am. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it was definitely a very formative time for me. Crazy. Yeah. And it's almost as if like coming back to the States, I went, studied, um, studied abroad and then studied, I went to Indonesia for, it was only like 28 days. But then when I came back, it was like, everything's kind of fake, right? Like the grocery store, super weird it's like it's enormous for one that is still weird to me i hate going like i refuse to go to walmart not because i have like anything against walmart but because it's so big and it overwhelms me like i prefer to go to the smallest grocery store in town Mm -hmm. that's more comfortable (laughs) yeah yeah where you know where your veggies come from and i'm sure like the the markets i'm in tanzania were local farms or you know the guy who grew the cheese or made the cheese and the you had the the greener i mean you just got your fruit on the like your fruit and vegetables was literally like a hundred feet from my doorstep on the corner some guy selling fruits and vegetables on the street like sure that like we went to grocery stores for like 
I don't know, flour or rice or whatever, but a lot of it, you could literally buy like around the corner from your house or two doors down. That's so cool. And what's really special about that is um, the connection to the food and to the agriculture. You know, I feel here in the United States, we're so separate from everything. You know, I, we have a fridge full of food that, man, it could have been in California maybe, or the, like the produce was grown. You know, we just, we, we kind of lose that connection or like the meat. Yeah. Or even, I mean, I guess I don't necessarily know where some of that was grown, like so much from like the agriculture itself, mm-hmm. but like even just knowing like, oh yeah, I get my veggies from Mary and John is the guy who runs that little store on the corner. Like, I don't know the cashier at my grocery store they're different every time you know like it's the community I think as much as anything else we're like yeah I know all my neighbors which I live in a really unique apartment building here in Roanoke where I actually do know all my neighbors but like I think most of the time in the U.S. like we don't even know the person living across the street from us yeah much less like the person running the grocery store totally yeah that's a good point it's like I think it's more important to know the know the community that you're getting your source of nutrition from, you know, because I'm sure they know where it came from. That's, I guess my point. It's like, right. I'm trying to think at East coast. Like, do you guys have Publix? Not here. Um, we don't even have that here. Like a Kroger is big Kroger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just trucks of food that are being brought from all over the country, you know? And it's like, we just don't know where it's coming from, but that's one thing in Indonesia, you just kind of knew where everything was. It, it, nothing was, nothing was driven, you know, it was not putting on like a car, like everything was kind of grown in a local area. Um, and I thought that was super special. And that's the thing that we kind of lack here in the States is the grocery stores are huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I don't need 28 varieties of crackers. Like I, no. I just don't. <laughs> crazy yeah it is crazy like we got to be blessed and grateful that there's you know so many options but also it's like at what point we're only going to get to get more and more options and more food and more you know um the produce is going to go grow faster you know it's like it's going to stop um that's really sweet and so like what else in tanzania did you find really unique and special I think the biggest thing was really like that community of people who were from all over the world. Like, um, yeah, to hear, you know, Swahili and French and German and English all being spoken in like the same conversation in the same room um, is just a really unique thing. And like, I think it speaks to like the variety of different perspectives that are being shared and the fact that like, we can all share like those same experiences. Um, and a lot of my, I guess a lot of my connections socially there were through sport, um, all kinds of sports. Like I, you know, I initially played volleyball and then like some of the people playing volleyball were like, Oh, you should come join. We play rugby on Thursday nights. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's try rugby. Um, and then rugby turned into like, Oh, we go scuba diving on the weekends or we whatever. And so like, kind of just that like sport as a generator of community um and like just the I don't know the beauty of that kind of international community that stemmed from that was cool that's awesome 
That's really cool. And so what kind of led you to the teaching path? Did you go to school for it or was it something? I did. Yeah. Um, I, I went to school for teaching and kind of the teaching internationally, at least I had a roommate in college who grew up um, at a boarding school in West Africa. And she was like, I think you would really like teaching at an international school. And I was like, okay, cool. I've never heard of that, but that's what I'm doing. And it was literally as simple as that. Like I kind of just made up my mind that that's what I wanted to try after I graduated. So I taught for like a year and a half or so in the U S and then got the job in Tanzania. Didn't even know where Tanzania was on a map. I had to Google it, but it was like, I'm doing it. Let's go. And yeah, ended up staying for four years. Cause I loved it. That's, that's sweet. And so <laughs> fast forward, um, you come back to the States and did you, do you have like a job lined up coming back to the States or contract ended in Tanzania and you were like, okay, time to come back. Yeah. So I moved back for kind of a combination of reasons. Um, one of which was family reasons. So my dad was moving into like a partial retirement phase and he had wanted since he was in college to ride his bicycle across the U S and I had told him years and years and years prior that okay, whenever you do this, I'll do it with you. And so he told me, Hey, I'm retiring. Um, I'd like to do this in the upcoming year. Um, no pressure, but if you want, and I was like, all right, I'm in, let's do it. So that was like kind of my primary reason to move home, but also some things politically in Tanzania were changing. So it was very questionable if I'd be able to renew my like work permit and residence visa, whatever, to be able to stay. So things all kind of fell together. Um, but that being said, I didn't have a job when I moved home. I had still kind of been working off and on at that local bike shop because um, I'd come home for the summer and they'd let me, you know, step in on a seasonal role. Um, so I planned on doing that, but didn't even apply for teaching jobs because the plan was to do this trip across the country on our bikes in like early spring. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wouldn't be able to get that time off. Totally. So you did this trip. <laughs> Which, where did you start? And first, let me actually backtrack. Like, what was the planning into that? You know, because um, for me, I could be like, okay, I could take a week and plan for a 250 mile gravel loop that could probably, and try to get like an FKT, which is super, you know, it's 24 hours, right? But man, I couldn't even imagine like the the planning to bike 4,000, what, 4,000 miles or something? Is it? Something like that? I don't even know. Yeah, it's a lot of miles. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, so I had very little to do with the planning. I was kind of a, of the mindset, like, I'm here for the ride. Like, I'm coming along. Y'all decide what we're what we're doing. And so my dad is a very type A planning person. Um, and so he had ordered maps from, I think, like Adventure Cycling Association, maybe something like that. And they had routes. And so he compared those routes with like other routes and had everything like planned out. Um, my brother came along to like drive a truck and then like a camper trailer thing that we had borrowed for some friends. Um, so we didn't do like, we're carrying all our gear. Cause I was not in for that. I was like, I don't want to carry anything. Like we're yeah. not putting weight on my bike. That's dumb. Um, <laughs> that's totally. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we kind of did the glamping of sorts where we had a RV trailer and camped in that every night and yeah it's cool we started in san diego california and then finished in jacksonville florida so stayed dang. pretty far south dang um that's oh literally the 
most luxurious way you could do it. First, you're having fun on a light bike and you get a camp in a bed every night. Right. Yeah, right. That's rad. Um, and so like, did you just go every single day? You must've take, taken like a week off, right. To like rest or. We ended up doing it in, if I remember correctly, it was like 40 days total. And four of those were rest days. Dang. So we rode between like 60 and 80 miles each day, something like that. Um, and took it pretty chill. Like my parents, this is the coolest part. My parents rode a tandem across the U.S., which is so baller. Like That's rad, yeah, absolutely rad. Um, but that also meant that their pace and my pace, even though I wasn't cycling competitively at the time, I was not in any kind of cycling shape. But like our pace was just different, especially in the any climbing. Um, mm -hmm. So how it generally would work is like we'd all start together. And then every 20 miles, as I'd slowly kind of creep ahead of them, I'd stop, eat a cliff bar, hang out, whatever, wait, and then we'd continue on. Um, so, you know, you know, 60 to 80 miles might have taken us, depending on the day and the headwinds and the terrain, like anywhere from like four hours to eight hours kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but super relaxed. So, yeah, as it should be, because if you're going to be riding... I mean, for 40 something days with every day, hours, you better ride relaxed or else you're going to be yeah. out for the count super quick. Um, yeah, I, I'm just thinking like my chafe would probably be so bad. 40, 44 days of nonstop. And especially were you not cycling very much at that time too? So I had done, so I guess I moved home in like June of 2017 is when mm -hmm. I moved back from Tanzania. Um, and that's, or that summer and fall, I did a couple crits, kind of got back into the bike shop life, did a couple crits, did a couple cyclocross races. I was like, okay, this is fun, but I'm also not really about this Midwestern snow and cold mud cyclocross life, which I know, I know that that is real cyclocross, but it's not my thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so did some cyclocross, did my first mountain bike race that fall, um, and then had a surgery that took me off the bike completely for eight weeks, um, which left me about three weeks to prepare and start riding before we started our cross country trip. <laughs> Dang. So that's, I had been not really riding at all. Yeah. That's intense. That's a good way to get back into shape pretty quick. It's just ride every day like that. Yeah. Yeah. If I could do that every spring as like my base training, it would be, maybe the best thing ever. And I don't know, maybe at this point I would need more, but like I came back that year and like did a full season of mountain bike racing, like XC local race kind of thing. And I won every race and it had nothing to do with skill level. I guarantee it, it had yeah. everything to do with the fact that I had like mountains of base fitness. It was That's wild. Four, yeah. 4,000 miles of base fitness by the time it's 4,000 miles, uh, June, Right. No, we finished in April. So we finished yeah. in April, which if you live in the Midwest, which is where I was at the time, like it barely stopped snowing for most of the people. Yeah. And I had 4,000 miles of legs. Yeah. And most great. people, but <laughs> I'd say 90% of the population doesn't even ride 4,000 miles in a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I barely do. <laughs> yeah. I barely do too. That's what I'm saying. Like you did it in like 40 days. It's crazy. It's so um, wild. And so that kind of sparked your interest for like, okay, 
Like I'm back on the mountain bike. I'm winning. Right. I mean, I, it's hard I, not to love it when you're winning. Yeah. Well, then you're like, <laughs> you know, then you're like, your ego is like, hey, I might be doing pretty good at this sport. I might be okay at this sport. Yeah. <laughs> Even though looking back, I was like, I had zero off-road skills, like zero. Really? It's amazing. I didn't like crash and die. See, and that's what a lot of like ro- road bikers, gravel bikers, they come in with this amazing base fitness and they're like, whoa, I can't race for shit on a mountain bike because it's technical. It's rocky. It's punchy. I'm throwing 1200 Watts on some little pitches of climbs at two hours into a ride because you have to put in that much Watt to like, get yeah. up, you know? And so yeah, yeah. it's just, it's such a different sport if you haven't done it before. And so the learning curve is immense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you were coming in with like, you know, subpar off-road skills. I would say you, you could handle your bike if you're winning mountain bike races. I mean, I was getting off to go over like logs and just getting oh. back on. Like really? psychocast style. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, so you learn pretty quickly though. I mean, yeah, I also, so. I mean, I was in the Midwest, so nothing super technical to start with. Yeah. So that probably helped me out. Um, and I definitely like, I did it a lot. So I do think you just learn by doing, um, but I did a skills clinic I'm trying to think if it was that year or the next year. I think it might've been in 2019. And I like can still point to that one weekend skills clinic as being like night and day difference in my riding. Really? Like for one, like I was of the mindset, this is super old school of me, but like when I bought a mountain bike and it came with a dropper post, I took it off and put a rigid post in it, (laughs) (laughs) which is wild to me to think of now. But like, I don't need a driver post. This is heavy. Why would I use this? And then I did the skills clinic. It was like, oh, now I get it. Like, I just remember like being taught how to move my bike separate from my body. And that was like mind blowing. Yes. So yes, I progressed. Okay. But like, I cannot recommend a skills clinic enough. Like that was like night and day difference. That's huge. And that's something for me, I kind of came with the background of BMX racing, dirt jumping. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fitness was, I, I fucking hated riding my bike. <laughs> that was longer than five miles. Right. Really punchy. I could do a BMX course and I love, I'll ride my bike to the top of the pitch so I can hit the five set of dirt jumps. Like that was my riding, but you know, separating from the bike, the bike body, mo- like disengagement and the movement of the bike. And then I got older, picked up fitness, you know, and like mountain biking and mental health. And then I was like, wait, this is dirt jumping literally on just never ending single track. I- I'm in love with this sport. I'm in. <laughs> Never really had to do like the skills clinic. Right. Cause I just had the, the, back- you had that background. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I got on a mountain bike, it was just like, oh, full suspension dropper post done. Oh, sweet. I don't care if it's not 160 mil you throw me on a 90 mil front fork and I'll be like, I'll jib around, you know? So, yeah. Um, I am envious of people with your background. Let's just say that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I well, wish up I in that. Colorado, we didn't have a mall. We didn't have a theater, you know, we didn't have, uh, the hangout, like what, what all the kids had is like, we had bikes, dirt jumps, big mountains, 
And then when it snowed, we had skis. Like, yeah. so we just didn't have like, we didn't have the mall. We didn't have like the place to go hang out. Like all of our, right. buddies, we just got, we just told our parents like, can we please buy a dirt jumper? And then we all got dirt jumpers. And then we like <laughs> big jumps and hurt ourselves. Like that's kind of like our summers, you know? I mean, um, I still love when I visit Colorado and there's like all these dirt jump parks everywhere because that's not a thing out here. Like it's just not like we are begging the city to like have like dirt jumps and like that be okay on public land. Like it's, totally. it's a very different mindset. It's completely different. And so like, but once you kind of learn that skill, you know, like it's almost like there's that gap of like, you got to wreck when you just like, separate from the bike and you land and you wreck and you're like, I know that was it. I'm, I'll never wreck again. Like the, the bike now is free, you know? So like once you kind of learn that was racing mountain bikes, just a huge hit in your book. Like that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, I think, well, honestly, like once I started racing mountain bikes, like I, I've done like three cross races and maybe a crit since like, it was very much like, this is it. Like those other disciplines, like that was fun, but that's not really my thing. Like, this is my thing. Um, yeah. So started like, started working with a coach and started focusing on like, all right, like, yeah, I did really great this year. Cause I had that 4,000 miles of base fitness, but like how do I keep this? Like, what does it look like to train for a race? What, you know, like, what is an FTP? What are intervals? Like yeah. all of that was brand new to me as a, like, kind of like a, as a non-athlete really. Mm -hmm. Um, and really just love the process of it. Um, yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people get on the bike because it's fun. And then there's this whole other world to the bike, like FTP. The first time I ever heard of that, I was like, I'm getting on my trainer because it was winter time and I'm fucking getting my FTP. I got to figure it out. Like I never <laughs> knew what it was. It's like, right. And then once you figure it out, you're like, sweet. I know my measure. I now I know how to train. Like all my zones are off that FTP. Like, um, like my fiance, she's getting on the bike, you know, and she, I, I'm letting her get on the Wahoo trainer and I gave her a little Wahoo to like track Watts. Cause she's never tracked Watts. She was a runner, you know? And I was like, yeah, what, what were you, what were you holding? And she's like, I was doing 220 Watts for five minutes. I'm like, damn, babe, that's great. You know, it's so yeah. get it. Like she's getting that side of the bug. It's such a bug, you know, it's like this whole other world of like, great. I'm having fun, but how can I like not suffer like I did in that last race, you know? Cause it yeah. is about just like, but I think, I think too, that like quote where like, it never gets easier yeah. you only get faster, or whatever that is. Like, it's so true. Cause I feel like now, like, so that was like 2018, right? Like when I started like, okay, like what is training? How do we get into this? And like now, like we're like five years later, six years later, like I almost feel like I've kind of like done this like arc where it was fun, deep dive into training. And now like, Part of it I've shifted coaches, which is we can talk about, which is really interesting and cool like transition for me. Um, but also like I ride now again because it's fun and I don't pay as much attention as I used to to like what's my power. Half the time I ride a bike with no power meter and I don't actually care. Um, but I'm still seeking like 
the gains and the speed and all of those things, but still more focused on fun than I was in maybe 2018, 2019, that kind of thing. Like the yeah, beginning five of years ago and the spectrum is continuously changing, which is yeah, so, so much involvement. Yeah. Yeah. So once you think you mastered something and you're, oh, my numbers are great, this and this and this, but you don't like being on your bike anymore. So how do we change that to like actually enjoying the bike again, you know? And, and I'm, I'm in the same boat as like, um, I never really, I started racing without a coach. I got a coach, love him to death. And I mean, everything was great, but I just have a baby. And so it's like, I was so good at being on my own schedule. As you know, with the podcast, like, Hey, we're <laughs> and you're like, no, it's no six 30. I'm like, Oh shit. All right. Yeah. You're right. So I'm just like, that's how I roll. It's like, when I'm like ready to go, I just go. And so if I have an hour, I have an hour. If I have three, I have three. So I, I couldn't really plan it in. And, you know, I had a power meter, but now I just like no power meter on my mountain bike, no power meter on my gravel bike. I will eventually on my gravel bike, just cause it's good training sometimes to like train power, but I'm not in the, I, I race pro. I'm still seeking to do really good. But the way I ride is like based on feel now, right? As a dad, I'm like a little older. I don't really care. I run, I do CrossFit. And when I ride, I ride hard. It's just how I love to ride. And so I don't, <laughs> want, I don't want my training plan to say, ride at a 125 beats per minute heart rate. That's never going to happen. Like I'm like, <laughs> always, you know? And so uh, full throttle. full throttle. And so when a coach says, don't do that, I'm like, no who's paying who i'm just kidding you know what i'm saying like i'm just like no i'm yeah. like I'm gonna go hard and that's just kind of how i love my life to be is like mm-hmm. if i'm gonna work out or if i'm gonna go on a ride it's like i'm i'm gonna almost break a collarbone almost you know i'm like I'm, i want to ri- like ride that edge and um i think that's why i was successful and a lot of people aren't that way but um mm-hmm. so it's interesting so like what what did your new coach kind of change in that for you. Yeah. So kind of like you, like when I, when I got a coach, like I worked with him for three years and I feel like he brought me a long way, but it was a very structured system. It was very much the like five minutes on at this power and to one minute off and whatever, you know, these different intervals, which were very power based, which as you probably know, once you're on a mountain bike trail, that kind of just goes out the window. Like the terrain dictates what you're doing. And so it meant that I was doing a lot of training on the road. And like, I live in Southwest Virginia, it's the Blue Ridge Mountains, they're like, generally short ish climbs. So it was like, if I want to do this, I either have to do the same climb over and over and over, or like the same loop. And it was like, I still enjoyed it, because I loved the process. And I loved like focusing in on the training, but I wasn't on single track as much as I needed to be to really like keep progressing my skills and speed on single track. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of got to a point where I felt like I was kind of plateauing anyway. And I was like, I just need some, you know, something to shift. And so, um, ended up switching to a different coach who works almost entirely off of heart rate, which allowed me to go do these same like interval workouts, but to use the terrain that I have at my fingertips. And so I can ride out my door and be on mountain bike trails in like a mile and a half. And like, I can go like most of my workouts will say like target tempo heart rate or target threshold heart rate on the climbs and then have fun on the descent. And so it was like using that terrain 
to train. It's a little less precise, sure, but it's so much more fun. Um, and I've, I've also felt like, I don't know, like maybe my power isn't as high as it once was, but I'm definitely faster on single track, which when you're racing mountain bikes is what matters. Um, so yeah. Cause you're overall, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're like your overall Watts, like when you're on that small three minute climb, yeah, your FTP might not be where it used to be, right. but for that five minutes, you could hit such a higher wattage because you've been training the terrain. And that's what I well, find. Just my efficiency on the terrain too. Like, I mean, from like a technical skill, being able to like maintain speed through a technical mountain bike trail, yeah. like that comes only by riding technical mountain bike trails over and over and right. over again. You could so. be as fast as hell on the uphills and beat me by two minutes, but I bet to shit you better be fast descending because I will catch you, you know? So mountain biking, it's, it's not necessarily like the Lance Armstrong of road biking. I will never catch you. But when it comes to that, that double black diamond downhill descent that mountain bike races have, you I better watch out. Cause I'm coming. I'm coming. You know, I'm a bigger guy. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, almost six foot tall and female. So like oh. most of the people I'm racing are like six inches shorter than me or yeah. more. They're like yeah. tiny. I will never, ever beat them on a climb. It, it yeah. will not happen. It's not, it, it is no. not physically possible. But what you just said, like, that's been like my motto. Like I may not win on the climb, but I am coming on the descent. And like, yeah. that's part of why this season, well, last season, I guess I started like dabbling in enduro, partially because yeah. I had some friends that did it and it sounded super fun and it yeah. is, but also it was because like, okay, I'm, turning 35 like i'm gonna age out of xc and xcm eventually or just slow down like i'm yeah. not getting faster on the climbs at this point yeah but i can sure get faster on the downhills totally have fun doing it yeah uh it's so funny you bring that up i uh there's this enduro race and i've never raced enduro right i've always i've always ripped descents you know i've gotten like on strava i can take a top 10 on a descent on an xc blur you know like yeah yeah what uh 120 millimeter max, you know? And so, uh, I was like, I'm going to sign up for a enduro race. And my fiance was like, yeah, I was like, I think I'm going to try to race in the elite. Like, so I showed up in jorts, uh, like a flamboyant, like collared shirt and my, oh, yes. my arrow helmet <laughs> and took third place overall. And all these guys had like full face helmets with like elbow pads and like knee pads. And I was so blown away. I will say, I do not like, I'm not bragging about this at all, but I, I, it was where we used to live. So I saw a bunch of buddies. So I was super, super duper hungover too. <laughs> so I woke up that morning and I was like, oh. I was like, oh shit, I got an enduro race to do. And like, <laughs> got in the car like we went up and I was so out of it I mean my head I'm 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 old now you know I'm like my head hurt I was like I'm achy I was like thank god I don't have to like race my bike uphill or else I'll throw up right you can, you sure can just up. ride with your friends uphill it's so yes. much fun I just descended it was so much fun oh my god so yeah I think I'll begin to get more enduro races and I think for those of us with like xc or gravel fitness like it's even more fun because like it's really not a challenge for us to ride up. Like we're no. really just kind of chilling. So no. like there's the effort involved there that there maybe is for someone who mostly just shuttles to the top. <laughs> yeah. 
And so like, and that's the thing too, is just like, I, I was already at like the first stage way before anyone. Cause I didn't really know anyone there. So I just rode my bike like casually to the first stage and then casually to this. So when we, when I finally got done, it was like three hours until like they did awards. So I was yeah. like, oh God, like, I guess we shouldn't ride that fast up the hill. Cause I was also like, I'm learning that. I'm learning that you are. Yeah. Which <laughs> it'll take some time. Cause I was like pinning it up these like gravel roads. Like, <clears throat> Cause I'm hung over. I'm like, you are going to suffer you motherfucker, you know, like super hungover. <laughs> you deserve this. Uh, and so, I, I mean, that's just how we are though. Like with sight, like if you race mountain bikes in the endurance realm, you kind of have those demons, you know, where you're like, yeah, you had, you had three beers last night. Well, fuck off. you know, you're just going to, you're going to kick yourself in the butt, you know, but, um, so yeah, enduro racing is going to be huge for like helping with the descents. Um, so you started enduro racing and then, sorry, we, we got off track again. <laughs> That's all good. Um, so enduro racing and then yeah. So like this season I'm splitting between like basically XC marathon, which has been my primary focus for a couple of years, the, like the longer distance marathon, um, XC and then enduro, like pretty much doing almost half and half with my season. Nice. Um, it's gonna be kind of interesting. It's the enduro end of it, like definitely pushes me as much mentally as anything else. Like the fear of going off, especially like big bike park features, because I don't really have a bike park around me. I don't ride like our trails are like backcountry. Like we, I can go off like rock features and like janky East Coast stuff, roots, whatever, all day long. But like a big wooden feature, that thing's scary, man. Like <laughs> so scary. It's like I have the skills to do this, but I don't have the confidence always to send it. It scares the shit out of me. So you're not alone. <laughs> From someone who only rides mountain features, yeah, no, fucking twenty foot drop off a wooden plank that you have to catch eighteen miles an hour to even gap it. Nope, I gotta go. Yeah, home no, water. you know, like fuck that. Right. Yeah, I'm too old for this. I don't want to crash and not be able to race next weekend. <laughs> oh, no, like next weekend? Like I don't want to be. That's like a month out. You know, if you crash on something like that, like that's yeah. no, like I'm out next weekend. That's like fuck. Yeah. Be out for like a month. The whole season. It could be the ah. whole season. Oh, 100 percent. You know, because those are big features. Yeah, and fortunately, I don't have to do any 20 foot gaps. But like, I mean, even a like a road gap that's big enough to scare me like i've never had to do anything like xc races don't have that no no and you're hauling ass too you know it's not like you're hitting these gaps and you like it's precise like dirt jumping where like you're at the top you breathe you know okay i've already done a few laps i've got this figured out no it's like you're fucking pinning it elbows out and you're just gonna send it and hopefully you didn't catch too much speed going into the jump right trail speed is such a vague thing yeah. like what is trail speed <laughs> you going to that that kicker i was going about like wind speed cool oh i'll hit it at oh, wind. Man. you know like what absolutely not no i'm gonna fucking hit this thing so fast and overshoot and then hit. yeah no or too slow and like or like, too slow. Yeah. Like hooked to flat. Never there's fun. A perfect, there's only a perfect speed, you know? 
Like with something like that, it's like there's too fast and too slow. And then there's perfect and you'll hit it right on. The perfect is, I mean, I'm a <laughs> rock. I'm going to hit that thing fast. <laughs> like, I don't know. Oh my uh, God. So yeah, yeah so that's, that's very much a learning curve. Um, and yeah. definitely like as psychologically stressful as it is like, like I can go climb all these like feet of elevation, like mm -hmm. XT training. And it's like physically stressful, but like it's mentally easy because I've done it so much, but going and like sessioning at like a downhill park is so much more like mentally stressful, even if physically it's not as demanding. I'd say it's more of like this, just you're fucking scared. Like you're just yeah. fucking scared, you know? 100%. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't train that, like that's a, you have to train that part of the brain to be like, Hey, we've done this a bunch. We kind of get the speed. So I know how to land correctly. Like for right. skiing, it took me years until I could like huck something big or like do a backflip off something. Right. Like it just, when I first did it, I was so scared, but now, you know, you kind of get this gradual like comfort, but yeah, it's just scary. It, the consequence, like the risk to reward is the risk is so much higher than the reward on these fast enduro downhill courses. Like your risk is super high because you are, you're at, you know, 180 beats per minute going downhill. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. and a lot of it's interesting. I've been practicing just on my local trails, like sprinting into descents. And oh. even that is like, this is a trail I know. This is a descent I'm super comfortable on. But when you sprint into it, it's such a different feeling. It's yeah. so wild. You're taking corners like oh, 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 oh. trees are going by you and like, man, and you can't breathe. Your heart rate's like higher yeah. than it was on the climb. Yeah. And I never thought enduro racing was going to be such a, a lactic threshold workout. Like I was almost cramping and I wasn't even, and I train a lot, you know, and I was almost cramping on these, like, like middle grade, not even a mile sprint. Like, you know, you yeah. like downhill and you have like this middle grade sprint. And I mean, I'm like, on an XC bike, doing as many watts as I can into the pedals, back into the rock garden. Like, yeah, it's like you're not breaking. It's like a part of your brain switches off, where you're just like, "All right, whatever happens, happens. Go for it." You know, you send it, send it. No breaks. Like you just, yeah, we've done this before. Um, I, I told my coach coming into this season, I was like, I need to like actually train to sprint again because racing XC marathon, like. Yeah. I never, I never practiced sprints. Like the likelihood of me sprinting in a finish is almost zero. So like, it yeah. wasn't something we spent time on, but like I started doing these enduro races. I was like, I, I, I can't sprint. <laughs> like I need yeah. to sprint. <laughs> I can hold a good amount of Watts for four hours straight. Yeah. It comes to like these enduro sprints from 30 oh. seconds. Like yeah. what? Level. <laughs> yeah. They're, 30 seconds and it's like a full out sprint because you know the segment's not long so you're going all out like all 100 all out yeah you never on a bigger bike than until october i had ever ridden in my entire life <laughs> yeah huge bike i'm sure what are you on like 140 or 160 oh no i'm on a, a rocky mountain El or altitude so it's a 170 160 bike oh that's like a it's <laughs> like a dirt full on in no well it's a full-on enduro rig man damn that's sick i'm sure yeah. the, the send mode on that thing is insane it's so fun and like i've definitely like 
rolled things that I should not have rolled and been okay. Like it's yeah. kind of amazing. Dang. That is sick. Oh. Yeah. I've been doing it on a 120, 115. Yeah. You know, but I just, I'm in that time of like, I just have one mountain bike and if I'm mm -hmm. going to sign up for an enduro, I better, send it. I better send it harder than the 170 millimeter guys are, you know? You uh, have the advantage in any pedal stage. Oh, totally. I'm <laughs> got a 24 pound bike that I'm just going to rip, you know? Yeah. So I think that's why I did so good was it was a little bit of a lengthier, pedalier stage. So I think that's why it was more of an XC enduro race. So I was just like, had the bike, had the training for it. So, yeah. but those big rock drops and stuff like that, I'll definitely, I'd want a 170. Man, that, that would be so sick. There's <laughs> just like butter going over everything. It's kind of awesome. That's sick. So what's your plans for this year? So it's February coming in. Yeah. The season. You're splitting it, but do you have any like big races that you're planning on doing? So I found out two years ago that the 2024 marathon world championship would be at snowshoe in West Virginia, which is like two and a half hours for me. And I, when I found that out like two and a half years ago, I said, I want to do everything I can do to qualify for that race. Um, so that's kind of been my target for the last two and a half years is to be able to race in September at snowshoe at marathon worlds. Um, last summer, I very unexpectedly got the chance to race marathon world in Scotland. So that was awesome. Um, but it's a very like, how do I say this nicely? Um, it's a little bit of a convoluted process to qualify for marathon worlds. Yeah. Um, so there's only this year for 2024, there's only three world cups for marathon. Only two of them are before the world championship. Um, and despite the fact that one of the world cups last year was after world championships, they're not counting that one as a qualification. Um, which is kind of what I was hoping on. Cause I placed high enough to qualify at that race. Um, yeah. but that apparently means nothing. And so unless I were able to fly to Europe and place top 20 in one of those two world cups this spring, then it's left up to USA cycling's discretionary process, which is also a bit vague, um, to get into worlds. So that's my target race, but it's also, I probably won't know the race is in late September. I probably won't know until August sometime if I actually will get to race it. Dang. But that's still the target. So to kind of get there, um, doing a few like local-ish marathon races, hoping to race Pan Am's marathon, which will be in Brazil this year. Um, and then, yeah. And then doing some local UCI cross-country races um, to get UCI points. Okay. So. Yeah. That makes sense. Which is going to be a complete shock from training yeah and then doing like a really intense 20 mile basically sprint i mean yeah i always yeah. hate coming from doing i race i'm i'm in the same boat i race marathon uh longer 100 plus that's kind of just like the gritty stuff is like where i thrive and mm -hmm. so racing i raced for a uci points last season with an xc race felt like i was gonna throw up my heart yeah you know? it's like my terrible. heart it's... Come out my throat it's so different and it feels so hard. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm not, this sounds terrible, but I'm not really excited to race those two cross country races. Like I'm doing them literally just for the UCI points. Um, and hopefully place high enough to get UCI points because I'm not really training for them either. Like I'm yeah. still, like, my training is really endurance focused. Like even with the enduro, like it's endurance focused. Like, yeah. and I know that those two races aren't like, I, I've gotten the privilege to race like the UCI cross country races at snowshoe, the world cups, like the last two years, which those races are super technical. So like those enduro skills do benefit me. Mm -hmm. Um, but like the more local level UCI races, they're just not like, they don't have like the gnarly rock gardens or the crazy features on them that you see at like those world cup events, which cater to mountain bikers, you know, like the UCI yeah. races that are technical and gritty, you have a better chance if you are a really good mountain biker and the kind of the easy, not, I wouldn't say easy, but the technical in a technical sense, the easier the course caters to like those really fit motherfobes, you know, like you got to <laughs> put up like 500 Watts, like yeah. I'll never be able to catch you, but man, we nope. hit those rock climbs or those rock descents. Like that's where like, mountain bikers have a chance i guess you know yeah um but sweet and so you're gonna go to two xc races to qualify for the snowshoe marathon is that to qualify or just to get uci points just to get uci points because i really have no i don't have the ability this year to get to europe for those world cups yeah so i'm trying to just get some uci points here and then hope i get in from like the discretionary process yeah uh, but yeah, outside of like those two UCI races, and then, like I said, the Pan Am marathon race, I'm hoping to get into as well. And again, that's a discretionary process where USA cycling says, you want to go, you can go kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, yeah. And then outside of that, like, I'm kind of just having fun with my season. So the plan is to do Pisgah stage race. Um, I'm doing BC bike race, which are both more like each day is more like an XC effort a little bit yeah. like they're generally like three ish hour stages um sometimes a little less um but like five days of racing on super rad trails and super cool places um and then the west virginia enduro series is kind of my like enduro focus throughout the season nice then i'll finish up with there's a five-day blind stage race called trans new england um that's enduro and that's gonna like that'll be after worlds assuming i race worlds um, and that'll like, that's really as far as I've planned my season out. That's like late, late September. And I was like, I'm going to go race enduro bikes in Vermont and New Hampshire for five days and hang out with my friends. And if I decide to race bikes after that into the fall, great. If not, then I'm just going to have fun riding my mountain bikes. Good. That's, kind of <laughs> that's great. And that's a good mindset to come in. That's, that's the longevity of the sport. Like, um, I made myself not bike this winter because like last winter and the year before i mean i was on the the trainer or i was doing like stupid disgusting road rides where it's just like miserable cold but i had to get that workout in and no i've i've gotten to backcountry ski with buddies i've been able to rock climb doing crossfit like just doing so many more things and having fun with my life so I think when it's like, when you're always in race mode, for me, it's like, it's more of a mental, like mental game of just not necessarily having fun with it, 
more of like the addiction of fitness, you know? Mm-hmm. So and I love that part of it, but I've like, I feel like the longer I've been racing and maybe it's maturity. I don't know. Maybe it's just like, I've seen more, but like, I want to race bikes in cool places, but mostly I want to race bikes because like the people racing bikes are super cool. Yeah. Uh, and so like, I feel like those two things, like cool people, cool places, like that's kind of been guiding my race season this year. Like, yeah, I want to race worlds of snowshoe cause it's snowshoe and it's my home mountain. And like, that would be cool AF, but I mostly want to like really be a part of this community of racing mountain bikes and embrace that. And it's such a cool community, you yeah. know, it's awesome. Yeah. If you have a chance, come to Arizona. We have, I raced uh whiskey last year, whiskey 50 in Prescott. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there too racing it. Did you do the pro? Mm-hmm. So you did the I ended, Yeah, I was probably behind you. I crashed pretty badly. That was my first of two accidents last year, um, where I cut my knee open like to the tendons, six weeks apart. Um, so, yeah, so I crashed on a random like corner, just slid out in the looseness um, at whiskey. Um, You're in the crit, or was it the XC like the back? Like the, the the backcountry race. That's when yeah. you. Got your yeah. Oh my God. Like sliced it open, ended up like flying home that night with it still sliced open. Cause I was like, I don't want to miss my flight. I'll just clean it up really good. And then get it stitched up back in Virginia. Um, and then healed it up, flew to Columbia for Pan Am's like literally six weeks to the day later, slid out on a gravel corner. And I think, cause it had never like totally, totally healed, yeah. but just like blew open and oh like, <laughs> like, there is a reason I now like will not ride mountain bikes without knee pads. Like I can't afford to blow my knee open again. <laughs> like Seriously. My scar is like four inches long. It's gnarly. Oh. <laughs> like I would rather wear knee pads and sweat and yeah. deal, with <laughs> deal with it rather than busting a knee. Right. Yeah. Also like, like both of those times like it was not a skill thing it was like literally like a loose rock or just coming too hot into a gravel corner that was like loose over hard and like yeah and you just went right over nothing you can do like oh god that sucks so it sucks yeah but i live in uh flagstaff so oh, sick about two two hours north of prescott yeah everyone says the riding there's amazing we put in like, I think 88 miles, a new single track last year. And then we got Sedona 30 miles South, which is like world renowned riding. We have Prescott mm-hmm. two hours, uh, the Phoenix area. If I were to live in one city, it'd be Phoenix. Cause Phoenix really? is like never ending single track. They have the Maricopa trail goes 350 miles around Phoenix. if you live anywhere on the outskirts of phoenix you access miles of single track so then january we have something called mbaa like mountain biking of arizona association puts on like uh race series so you go like january and then you have two in february two in march two in april two in may and you just basically race all over arizona in the winter time so by the time the season starts you already have like eight races under your belt. So it's a pretty cool spot. Like I'm sure Virginia, yeah. 
65 degree day you're riding the bike same with arizona it's like yeah. it's snowy here but i can go down two hours south and you know get back on my bike so mm -hmm. yeah i will have to like maybe one of those days i can be one of the pros that spends their winter in arizona <laughs> just like tucson tucson area yeah. i know like the key again sophia it's like <laughs> come on they have a house in utah now a house but hey that's what happens when you only win which they must be like blood doping <laughs> they're insane and they're together you know what's going on with that kenzie and i are always talking about it. it's like they're too good they also train more than like anybody i feel like like the number of hours on the bike is just wild i know and i hate to speculate just because you're good someone judges you thinking that you just do drugs you're good <laughs> cheater 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 uh, i can't be that good but i don't I know, even have that much <laughs> i know but it's crazy it's just so it's so cool to see like these two dominating fact like people who just don't lose yeah and break records at leadville but no it's super super cool um but yeah i mean i'm glad we have to catch up and chat finally for all the listeners we were scheduled to talk on sunday but me i'm freaking thought it was going to be next sunday so we like totally miscommunicated and i'm super pumped that we actually got on a call and got you on the podcast because yeah your story's cool and i'm excited to see where you go this year yeah yeah i mean it should be fun I mean, yeah. I know I'm going to ride some cool trails. So that part's like, that's decided. That's done. You're going <laughs> to be done. riding cool trails. And that's the cool thing about racing. It's like, we race, but I race bikes for the community. I don't really race bikes to go win. I would love to win. That's my mentality. But it's just cool to be in the atmosphere and like, yeah, have a similar experience to like, not only like the, the pros, which we race in, but then also like the people who like are doing it for the first time, like the Whiskey 50. Yeah. You know, and it took them like seven hours to do it. Those guys. These are, these are my favorite events where like the pros and the amateurs that everybody all get to race like the same course or a very similar course. Like Transylvania Epic Stage Race is the same thing. Like mm -hmm. the pros start at the front, but literally like everybody's racing the same course. You know, you yeah. finish every day, you all have dinner together, you hang out, you talk. It's It's just so fun. It's so sweet. And like, that's the experience of cycling. That's so cool is we're all in, we're all in it together doing the same thing. And it's just different for everyone. Some people yeah. it takes longer. And those are the people that as a pro, they are like, wow, I can't believe you did it in three hours. I can't believe you fucking did it in seven. You are a savage. High I can't high. believe you finished in the dark. Like, dude, like your way was <laughs> way bigger than mine. You know, like you, yeah you conquered something that like is way harder than what i could ever imagine doing i mean what you just said you conquered something yeah like period i just went out and rode my bike yeah i did the same thing that i do every single sunday like mm -hmm. i went out and rode my bike for four hours like that's normal yeah this isn't you know like I, I don't know i think it's cool you did yeah you don't do that and you just did it for seven <laughs> you know and you did it and like it, it's crazy because you know the pain is the same or worse yeah. Like, I'm also not that far removed from like doing my first 50 mile mountain bike race and yeah. like 
not having any idea how to fuel for it. Like who thought that five gels for 50 miles was a good idea? Not me. Oh, wait. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. you know, and so like, I'm not that far removed from like that supper fest and like feeling that accomplishment of finishing. Hey there. Say hi. This is my daughter. <laughs> Say hi. This is Abby. She's a pro bike racer. <laughs> We're going to be like her one day. Or even better. Probably. Or even better. Yeah, she's got red red hair. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know where she got it from. She just came out with the reddest hair ever. <laughs> um yeah, Abby, I'm I'm so stoked that we got to like get together. Oh, hold on. It's okay, mom's gonna get you right there. Yeah, I'm so stoked that we got to get together today and and I'm I'm glad I got to hear your story and yeah, just rad. And I think we could call it a call it a night in an hour. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. This is this is super fun. Thank you. I know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do this again and go and I say this to so many of the guests. It's <laughs> like we can only cover so much in an hour, and there's just so much. I could I could have another beer and talk to you for another two hours, but we just need to go ride bikes sometime. Yeah, we do. That's um, the answer. Just come to Arizona. Okay. All right. Yeah, seriously. And like, <laughs> let me know when you're here and we'll go ride and we'll get the whole family out. And we have a great community here in Flagstaff. Like it's unbelievable, like the community here. So, um, or Virginia, I just go race in the snowshoe. Yeah, you could, that'd be sick. I know I'd got to start training. <laughs> it's just snowy out. <laughs> uh, but super stoked. And then just stay on. I'll just, I'll, I'll end the recording. Cool. Yeah.